Pinker guns. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, we've seen how the ruling elite uh, have been using the justification of climate change to go after basically everything in your daily lives. We discuss bans on gas-powered cars, gas stoves, and other products. Well, now they're coming for your appliances. A new Biden proposal will seek to ensure your refrigerator, your dishwasher, your washer and dryer are properly green. Also, the ITT crew looks at new reports from the United Nations that promises a new phase of accelerated progress. And what might a so-called UN 2.0 look like? We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 397 of the In the Tank podcast. Right, folks, welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got the full crew. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing okay. I mean, I like our dope new intro and uh, theme song, so I think we're going to keep that one. Well done, Andy Singer, super producer. But, uh, you know, Trump was on CNN's town hall last night, and that was apparently a disaster, uh, and it made the the heads of the legacy media people explode. So I guess actually it worked out really nice. Title 42 expires at midnight tonight. And we got about 150,000 people lined up at the border. Like it's the start of the Boston marathon. Uh, and so that's going to be a humanitarian disaster. So that's, that's nice. Oh, and uh, EPA this morning just decided uh, to basically uh, shut down every coal plant in America uh, by a, a brand new rule that is in completely impossible to, to hit and is actually unconstitutional, and the Supreme Court better strike it down. And of course, uh, we're doing one of my favorite topics, which is how Biden's EPA is going to outlaw every single appliance in your home. So I'm in a mood today, Donnie. Jim, you got any good news? No. <laughs> no good news. All right. No good news. It's a beautiful day today. How about that? That's good. That is good. Justin Haskins, director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. That's Chris. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing good. Um, I'm going to take uh, uh, Jim's. I'm going to react to Jim's um, you know, rant about Joe Biden to start things off. I'm going to defend Joe a little bit okay. uh, by going straight to his Twitter account. He posted last night in the midst of the CNN town hall. It's simple, folks. It's simple. Do you want four more years of that? Or if you don't, pitch into our campaign. <laughs> so ask yourself, do you want four more years of Joe? Do you want that after everything that's going on? I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't know, folks. It's, it's uh, hard to understand why anybody thinks Joe Biden is doing a good job. Who are these people? I know that there's only like 30% of America, but who are they? I don't know. I think that's the open-ended question. On this show, I can tell you that. <laughs> also joining us, we got Chris Talgo, editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing good, and I want to take a little different tack here. I want to wish all the mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day. I think one of the only things I uh, can appreciate from President Woodrow Wilson is the fact that he issued a proclamation in 1914, 
uh, declaring the second Sunday of May as Mother's Day. So good for you, Woodrow. Yeah, birthing birthing People's Day, I think it's called. So you have to be inclusive, you yeah. bigot, you terrible, terrible human being. No. Uh, so so as as frequent listeners of this show uh, know, A, I was joking, uh, but B, mm-hmm. that I just welcomed into the world uh, my second son just a month ago. And uh, so we get all these different documents and stuff. And we're in the... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why are we clapping for him? He's not it's the weird. I, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be able to hear the audience. But Tony, have you transitioned? Person. You're not the birthing parent. You don't deserve any applause. What is this? Not the birthing person. So, anyways, yeah, you get a bunch person. of uh, you get a bunch of different documents and help stuff and notes about whatever. And in this this time around, and I don't think this was the case, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, when we welcomed in our first son, but it said, like, are you planning on breastfeeding or chest feeding? I swear, I'm not joking about that. So that that is a real thing now in your hospitals, apparently, that they have to be inclusive and they have to uh, make sure that all their documents reflect the one person in the entire world that chest feeds. So that, that's uh, that's the new reality that we're in. I, I don't even know if you could actually even be called the father in today's world, Donnie. You're, you're just birthing person adjacent. I think that's how uh, <laughs> that's we should right. call it. So that's right. provider. Audio only listeners that are probably catching the show on a Friday, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time, where we are broadcasting this live on Rumble and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We also have that super chat function if you want to basically guarantee that we'll read your comment or question. Uh, And it's also a fun way to support the show. And also, if you want to help the show, you can do so just by doing a couple of things that won't cost you a penny, only it cost you a few seconds. Subscribing if you haven't subscribed already, hitting that like button, sharing this content, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. So, uh, yeah, there's been a couple of things. You know, usually we start off with a little bit of an opening chit chat before we get to our main topics. And I was planning on talking about Tucker Carlson. And how Tucker Carlson is supposedly having a Twitter show, although that seems to be maybe not happening. They haven't signed a contract, according to Elon Musk. There's a Justin filled me in on this whole idea of a non-compete clause that Tucker Tucker Carlson signed when he was with Fox News that would prevent him from going to any like established places. So is he going to have a Twitter show? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But as Jim mentioned, there was a little bit more of a, a interesting stuff that developed over the last couple of days. And that was Trump's town hall event hosted by CNN. So uh, Justin told, tells me he didn't watch any of it. I've seen some clips here and there this morning. Jim, did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it. I don't have Chris. Must, Chris must have watched it's it. Chris I is watched. allowed to watch CNN. Oh, I, I watched it. it. Yeah, I, I should have asked Chris. What am so I thinking? entertaining. It was so great. <laughs> I, I got a I a Tim Tim Benson uh, in in the GR department here at Heartland was live tweeting live texting it to me last night. So just it was you? almost oh, as if why wasn't I just just me because you're pro because you're you you know because oh. Tim's uh, opinions don't exactly align with your opinions gotcha, on this particular gotcha, gotcha. issue. So uh, it it was very uh, he was very animated. It seemed as though stuff happened. So I'm excited to see the clips if we've got clips because I don't. And I don't even know if we do because I haven't seen any of it. But based on what Tim was saying, 
it it was uh it was something else is what it well, sounds like well so. chris g- give us your take on it uh you watched it um what what uh what was the most interesting angle that you that you uh take away from this uh so i you know i kind of told jim this the this morning that one of the things that stuck out most to me was after you know trump just basically being out of like the mainstream media spotlight especially the cnn spotlight like him not actually participating you know with uh panelists or with you know cnn commentators to actually see them interact and to see the just disdain that uh the cnn host had for trump her body language her tone everything was just so different than the way that they interact with you know president biden or interacted with president obama it was just that star contrast stood out to me so much it was all about gotcha 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 she was interrupting him just every single time she was quote live fact checking him which really means you know she was trying to uh you know uh you know, spread, you know, false news and, you know, disinformation in response to Donald Trump actually setting the record straight on many things. And it was just such an antagonistic interview. And it's just so different because, you know, when President Biden, when, you know, every once in a while, yes, he does go on uh, like MSNBC, who's on with Stephanie Rule uh, late last Friday. And it is such a different demeanor. It is so different. The climate, the everything. I, it really just brought back to me that whole Trump derangement syndrome and how crazy it was during the you know Trump years when he was president, and even after the fact, how they still just they they have a visceral hatred of him, and that came through so clearly. Jim, I've got a theory on this, um, but I'm curious of of your take on why CNN would even do this. Uh, I know at baseline ratings, I get it, but why would they do this? Ratings. I mean, is that it? Is that it? Because I, I, I'll take it a step further if you want, but go ahead. Well, no, well, take it a step further. And let me see if I agree. Okay. Uh, so the, the, some of the takes that I've seen from like kind of the, the, the left will call it on Twitter is like, why is CNN doing this? They're just promoting this guy. They think that they're trying to slam dunk on him, but they're just promoting this guy. And I think that, yes, of course they want ratings for tonight or yesterday night, but they also want ratings for the next several years uh, Mm -hmm. or at least up and through the, you know, general election. So I think that they are doing their best to promote this guy as the candidate uh, so that they can have him, you know, be in the spotlight so that they can fact check him on a daily, uh, uh, you know, a daily frequency and, uh, you know, play January 6 clips between now and Election Day 2024 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. CNN and the media can't quit Trump. I mean, <laughs> they just can't. Uh, and, you know, I think part of it is that, you know, it, it, all of our legacy media is run by uh propagandists for the Democratic Party. They're not journalists, they're propagandists for the party line. And they know that if Trump gets the nomination, they think, it, true or not, and we'll see if it turns out this way, but they believe, like they believed wrongly in 2016, they believe that if Trump is the Republican nominee, that Biden will beat him. Uh, and so I think part of what happened, what yesterday was about was was helping that goal come about and getting him the nomination. I don't think, <laughs> frankly, I don't think Trump needs CNN's help. Uh, he, he'll be able to, uh, you know, that's actually probably hurting him. The only thing that actually helps him is the way he treats CNN uh, mm-hmm. with with contempt, which, you know, I do enjoy watching that. Oh, but, of course. Uh, of course. Yeah, that, that's that's a lot of fun. But but to <laughs> me, to me, it's about ratings and, to, and and for the Democratic propagandists at CNN to fulfill the Democrat Party's desire, which is for Trump to be the person who runs against Biden in uh, 2024. We, 
We got a, Danny, a ten dollar. Wait one second. Ten dollars super chat from Christine saying, "I love the show. You teach me so much. Thank you, Christine. Very generous. Uh, thank you very much. Go ahead, Chris." Well, I was just going to say that every once in a while, yes, I do tune into CNN. And uh, over the past two years, while Joe Biden has been president, they haven't really commented much on anything that the Biden administration is doing. However, they still, on a daily basis, I kid you not, every single night have a Trump story, whether it's, you know, the the Bragg, uh, you know, investigation or it's this George <laughs> investigation or the E. Jean Carroll, you know, uh, uh, verdict. And so, so I, I think that what they wanted to do was they wanted to actually get him to interact with them. And, and I mean, it was just, it was very, very uh, entertaining, you know, as a viewer, but at the same time, I think that it just, once again, just shows how biased. I mean, I mean, Justin, what do you think about this? Because like the CNN, they're, they're obviously not like completely idiots. I mean, that's surprising to say, actually, considering they had Don Lemon on for so long. But they have to know that they're helping the guy by giving him attention. Like, if you really wanted to hurt Trump, you would just ignore him. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I, I think um, that's really interesting. I think this has less to do with Trump, interestingly, than it does just in general with the Republican brand. So uh, I think that um, what a lot of rightly or wrongly, what people on the left believe is that Trump is toxic come election time for everyone in the Republican Party and that Trump is terrible for Republicans and great for Democrats. That's what they believe. And because they believe that the more you show Trump as this is the face of the Republican Party. This mm. is what the Republican Party is now. This is what Republican... The more you can bring down the whole party, at least in their, again, in their way of thinking, I think this is how they understand it. So I really don't see... It's it's so funny that so many people are like, well, you know, why would they put him up there? Why wouldn't they put him up there? I mean, I, I seriously don't see a downside to it. They get a ratings bump when they do it, and CNN's ratings have been in the toilet. They make Trump relevant again, uh, for a brief period of time to suit their purposes, ratings-wise. Also, it, it in their minds, elevates the MAGA, ultra-MAGA Republicans who are, you know, terrible for America and everybody hates them and doesn't want to vote for them come election time. It makes it perhaps more likely that Trump is the candidate uh, primary-wise for the Republicans, which in their minds is a good thing, both ratings-wise and because it helps them win the win the general election in their again in their minds so why wouldn't they i mean i literally i legitimately cannot think of one the only i guess the only thing the only way this backfires is if trump actually becomes president again then all the people on the left are going to point to cnn and anyone yeah, who gave right. him a platform and exactly. say this is your fault you should never have given him this platform that's the, that and that would maybe destroy cnn <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, right. it's, it's a little bit of a risk, but I don't think they think he has a a chance at all of winning. Given, given the, that logic, they should just give him a show on CNN. You know, whatever show uh, was <laughs> yeah. vacated after after Don yeah. Lemon spiraled. I give mean, that slot to Donald Trump. I mean, I think it helps. And, and, and I, I don't see again, I don't see how it hurts to give him a platform if you're CNN when you want him to be the candidate and you want people to think of, of MAGA and right. Trump as the standard Republican, you know, I, thing. Yeah, that makes it sense. makes total sense. It makes total sense to me. 
All right, we should uh, we should get on because we got a lot of topics to get to here. Um, so on a nearly weekly basis, we talk about some harebrained policy designed to tackle climate change and to avert a existential crisis of our time. And these policies range from mandating the use of certain types of light bulbs to changing the entire structure of our economy and society. Uh, you know, great reset, so-called stakeholder capitalism, etc., so these changes, we are told, are to ensure that we're building towards a more sustainable society. But routinely, as we talk about these proposals, we see that these policies won't result in a more sustainable society. They won't tackle climate change, and they definitely won't stave off any supposedly looming existential crisis. However, there is one thing that they'll do. All of these policies will likely make your life worse. <laughs> and uh, let me be clear, this life worsening is not the result of climate change. It is, in fact, the result of government policies initiated in the name of climate change. So one of the more recent stories that we've discussed was California banning the sale of gasoline-powered cars by the year 2035. Um, I know we've covered this, but I don't think we've covered the fact that six other states have jumped on board with this plan. Those states include Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, and Washington state. So all of these states apparently are going to ban the sale of gasoline-powered cars by the year 2035. So it's uh, new cars, right? Is that new cars or is it all cars? New new cars. New cars. Yeah, okay. right, right. Um, so in the past, uh, 11 other states have agreed to abide by California's emission standards, but only these six states have announced that they're actually going to go along with this plan. Um, apparently, it's possible that the other 11 could hop on board, but they haven't announced it yet. So as I've mentioned, this is being the, done in the name of climate change. Uh, will it do anything to stop climate change? No. Will it make the lives of you and people living in those states worse? Yes, probably. <laughs> so just a couple of things that like kind of came to mind and how this would negatively impact people is, uh, you know, it's probably, you know, just from looking at an environmental perspective, like it's going to result in keeping old cars on the road for even longer. Uh, so that's, you know, that you'll probably see a few more 1970s uh, cars that get eight miles to the gallon on the road for longer. Uh, having to buy an electric car, uh, even if you don't, even if it doesn't suit your lifestyle or driving habits, uh, more susceptible to energy shortages or peak energy usage times. Remember those stories that we covered where, you know, the alerts would go off in California that were, you know, asking people not to charge their cars at certain times of the day. And some of these states have cold winters. Even California, northern parts have some cold winters, and, and we know that electric cars range drops like crazy in cold temperatures. And the environmental costs, uh, people think that it's a lot greener than it actually is to own one of these cars, and the sheer amount of rare earth material that's needed to build one of these cars, and the batteries that operate it, is not something that uh, people on CNN like to pay attention to. But uh, Jim... These are just a few things that came to mind uh, when it comes to how these this type of policy would negatively impact people. Um, what do you think about when you hear plans like this coming out of these states? Well, guys, I have a lot of thoughts. Actually, I'm working on a, a script for a video, separate video on this topic that will uh, that will be released at some point in the near future. But uh, you know, what's 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 infuriating about that? Let's just take electric cars, although that's we're going to talk about all the the appliances and all that too. But if you were to take the environmental left at its word, 
that they are interested in trying to make the planet cleaner to try to take some CO2 out of the atmosphere um, that or, or, you know, reduce the contributions that humans make to the CO2 in the atmosphere, which is minuscule compared to how much CO2 is in the atmosphere. And the, and the atmospheric CO2 is minuscule compared to everything else that's in the atmosphere. But if you were to take them at their word and that they were genuinely interested in these things and also not ruining our economy and destroying our way of life, they would actually do something like embrace hybrids. Um, um, Cameron Schulte, who's our director of government relations here at the Harlan Institute, has a hybrid car. Uh, he took me for a lift. We went out for lunch the other day. And uh, it actually, we had a conversation about that. It's like, it's like, well, how often does the battery kick in when you when you drive around? And does it do it a lot um, in stop and go traffic? Or does it, uh, do you get a lot of use out of it when you're on the highway? And, uh, you know, and so, and he says, you know, yeah, I, I fill my tank up you know, once every two or three weeks sometimes because the battery is using a lot of it and the battery charges itself through the technology of the engine turning and all of that. And so if you were interested in actually doing something about that, that if, if, if you should, you obviously need to be able to choose what you want, whether it's the, what, what refrigerator you want, what washing machine you want and not have the government basically outlaw everything in your home to fight climate change. But if you are interested in this sort of things, you can buy hybrid cars. And you can reduce the amount of CO2 that comes out of your, uh, you know, that you you're, you can reduce your carbon footprint voluntarily that way. But we don't live in a voluntary society anymore. The radicals in the Biden administration have decided to take all of your choices away uh, while gaslighting you and telling you that they're not doing it. Uh, I didn't grab it today and I should have. I'm sorry, Andy. But there was a tweet uh, or there was an image I shared, I think, in the Slack group with other people where I think it was Feb about mid-February, Chuck Schumer uh, said that we were all paranoid and conspiracy theorists because nobody's coming to take your gas stove away. Six weeks later, New York State bans the um, the all new construction. None of it can have any gas appliances in it at all. It must all be electric, with the only exception of, of course, because New York is a big restaurant town, restaurants will be able to use gas stoves. But the rest of us plebes, us <laughs> normal people, we won't be able to do that kind of stuff. And so we go from a you know, conspiracy theory and we knew it was real at the time. And we are told by our government that you are just spouting lies and disinformation. And literally within weeks, what we said was happening is proven to happen because they passed the bill in, in New York state. And so it is extremely frustrating to watch these things and to watch all of our choices, our choices, our, our ability, our desire to live a normal life all be taken away from us to fight climate change when none of it is gonna make any difference None, zero, it will not affect the temperature or the weather a hundred years from now. Not at all, because China and India and all these other developing countries are going to do whatever they want. We're going to shut down all of the, the coal and natural gas plants if Biden gets his way and the Supreme Court had damn well better throw this uh, rule out, this new EPA rule out like they did West Virginia versus EPA. But if the Biden administration had their way, we would be going back to the freaking stone age. All right, maybe only the 16th century in this country, maybe not even the Stone Age, but we can't operate our life on by shutting down all the coal and natural gas power plants in this country. We can't. And they are going to do it anyway because they are radical, insane ideologues. And it's not going to make any difference to the planet. And it makes you wonder, why are they doing this? It's not, they must know. We say this over and over on this podcast. They must know this will not affect the temperature or the weather 100 years from now. Science says it won't. What China and India are doing and Brazil and other emerging uh, economies are doing will absolutely wipe out any sacrifices we make. 
The sacrifice, though, is the point. They want to control your life. They will go down to the smallest detail of your life, like what washing machine you can buy, mm. how, how much water can come out of your shower head. And that's and it, and so people would say, Jim, you know, it's not a really big deal. So, you know, you'll 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 get to buy a, a more energy efficient washing machine. It's a big deal because the smallest detail of your life is not out of their purview. They feel they can micromanage the very smallest detail of how you live your life. They don't care about your happiness. They don't care about how much it costs. They don't care about anything but control. And that's why, you know, th this topic really gets me exercised because it exposes what the true agenda is. And it's not climate change. It's not energy efficiency. It's population control. Yeah, hey, Don, we, Donnie, we'll, Donnie, I, just, I just need to contradict myself real quick. A couple of weeks ago, I was on this show and I was saying that I was so, um, uh, you know, not not concerned about the central bank digital currency because the American people would rise up and they would, you know, say no to this. Now I've just listened to Jim and I'm sitting and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, gee, this is all about compliance. Going back to, you know, the mask mandates and the school closures, it's all about just getting normal everyday people to just become, you know, used to compliance. Whether it's saying, no, you actually can't have the gas stove. No, you can't have the the, the shower, you know, that you want. No, you can't have the toilet that you want. No, you can't have the light bulbs that you want. I, I I'm I'm totally, you know, taking the the 180 degree difference here. But in in some ways, in some ways, and I hear the laughing. But hey, you know, I'm I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm more than willing to admit when I maybe, you know, like erred in my ways. But what I'm saying is I agree with Jim because I think that what they've been doing for, for you know, decades now is just, uh, you know, just like like bullying the American people into compliance. And if they can get you to comply with, you know, what kind of stove you want, I don't think it's that far fetched to, you know, get into a point in 10 years or so where they're like, Trust me, this is for your best good. You know, this is this is this is for you know the the good of the country and CBDCs and all this other stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe I just maybe I just yeah. You know, it, it, I'm laughing because I I almost had a note uh, in my notes here that was going to ask oh, wow. you like, oh well, you know, they're not going to comply with this though. The American people <laughs> are going to comply with this, right, Chris? So that, that's why I'm laughing. But we have reflected on this uh, pattern you know, in, in, I don't know, the political sphere, the policy sphere, where it's like, at first, they'll pretend like, oh, no, that's not our plan. We're not going to take away your gas stove. And then down the road, they admit that they are going to do it, but it's a good idea. And this must have been the quickest turnaround ever when it comes to that. So the Chuck Schumer tweet up here, it says, nobody is taking away your gas stove. Shameless and desperate MAGA Republicans are showing us they will cook up any distraction to divert from real issues the American people want solved, like the debt ceiling. And at the bottom, it says what date this tweet was published, February 3rd, 2023. So it's only May. Uh, and I'm looking at an article here from The Hill talking about how New York State has passed legislation to ban gas stoves in any new buildings. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a pretty quick turnaround there, folks. Uh, I think we're breaking <laughs> records here, but... Uh, yeah, Justin, that one didn't age very well. <laughs> right, right. And, and and like the California thing with all the other states jumping on board with California banning the gasoline-powered cars, like I wouldn't be so shocked if we saw a bunch of different states hopping on board with this same type of thing. I believe Washington State is passed uh, or at least has some regulations in place that effectively do this 
any new building. They they don't allow any gas hookups or anything like that. And I think California has some incentives in place that encourages that same type of behavior. But just wait till it's all codified in law by uh, some of these blue states as well. But Justin, what, what are your thoughts on these uh, couple of topics so far before we get to the appliance one? Because that's that's kind of new here. Yeah, so um, there's this really uh, interesting quote from a, a guy named J.I. Packer, who's a famous uh, sort of Christian theologian. He passed away recently, and uh, he wrote this a long time ago, talking about, he's talking about liberalism in uh, the Church of England, which is where he was serving at the time. But it's sort of a universal idea about liberalism and progressivism that I think is really interesting. And I think it explains a lot of what happens in in modern american society generally and he, he was talking about even if we could figure out a way to stop all of these really crazy liberal ideas that are that are coming into our institutions he goes uh, he goes e nor if these ideas were scotched meaning that they didn't happen would the, the liberal snake be killed for liberal uh, ideology is a parasite which lives by challenging received views in the name of reason Hey, hey, you know, while you, while you, one second, sorry, you're going through this quote. I'm sure it's great, but your audio is, is messing up here. You sound like a robot. I don't think that's the intention. So, no. um, <laughs> you might need to reset or something like that because you're sounding like a, a T-1000 without the skin. So, uh, let's, Got it. <laughs> let's have you restart, see if you can join us back, but I'm sure that was some good stuff there. I'm sure it was great. You know, but, Donnie, uh, I know, I know this isn't like an original thought by any means, but I, I do think that it's just interesting to point out every so often that it just seems to me like almost all of these policies come from the the, the bi-coastal left. They're, they, they never are, you know, conceived of, you know, in like places like Oklahoma or like, quote, like the heartland, the, you know, the flyover country. But it's always pushed from the left coast and the right coast. And then it's unfortunately, it, it seems like it does just spread like a cancer through the country and especially in, you know, places like Chicago who embrace it. But then you've got the rest of a you know state like Illinois that's saying we want nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I think that that's just something that Americans really should like keep in mind. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need to push back against them. Wait, there's a great comment here. Justin Eagles, chat GPT confirmed. Busted, busted. That That is the case. He has never been a real person. It's all deep fake. And yep, he's, he's, he, yeah, it's just a meat puppet with chat GPT. Uh, speaking <laughs> for him. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, so uh, I didn't do this math. I, I was planning on it and I totally forgot, but I wanted to go through the populations of those seven states that are on board with this car gasoline ban uh, idea. And, and like find out what proportion of the United States is represented in just those seven states, because California is a large state, you know, New York is a large state. So I don't know, it's probably a sizable chunk. You know, if you had seven, you know, what you said, flyover country, red states in the middle of the country, like that, that might only be representative of a couple million people. But when you've got that amount of people saying, yep, we're going to ban the sale of gasoline powered cars to but, but Donnie, know, but it, it's a third not of the if, population. But no, I'm just saying that that has right. like industry wide impacts. Right. Know? No, no. But also, but I think we do, we should keep in mind that it's not all of Californians that, you know, Jim, Jim has said oh, this many times that, you know, the Inland Empire and like many other parts of California are, are becoming much more, you know, red, but it seems like, you know, and, and yeah. And we've said this so many times and this is no, you know, like, uh, you know, new point by any means but it's that the uh the, the the urban centers are driving a lot of this and those urban centers you know are are growing they're just expanding by leaps and bounds yeah justin i'm going to uh just address this appliance thing and then we'll 
let you jump in and, and give your take on kind of all of these different topics all at once. So um, I, I the the new thing that's kind of come around uh, is this is the, they're going for your appliances, as Jim talked about. So I'm reading from this article from The Washington Times titled Biden seeks to turn entirety of green homes. Uh, manufacturers of appliances warn of lower performance. So it says. President Biden's green energy goals have prompted a new array of efficiency rules for a slew of household appliances from microwaves to toothbrush chargers. The effort is forcing manufacturers to produce more costly products that they say reverse innovation by decades and potentially eliminate thousands of U.S. jobs. Biden administration officials are touting the new rules as part of their goal to take 100 actions, quote, to strengthen energy efficiency standards for a range of appliances and equipment to lower costs for American families. So great. They're going to stick us with 100 new regulations and restrictions. I, I cannot wait. Sounds like a good plan. Industry leaders say that new rules come with steep upfront costs for consumers and negatively impact performance. Rather than innovating new features sought by consumers, the ramped up regulations for appliances are forcing manufacturers to go backwards, said Jill Nadani, a spokeswoman for the Association for Home Appliance Manufacturers. Quote, they're literally going to have us redesign products that look closer to the 1950s than they do to 2020. Um, one industry executive described the cascade of regulations as an avalanche and unprecedented in stringency and scope. The standards proposed by the Energy Department would eliminate 98% of all top-loading washing machines on the market today and would require manufacturers to make machines larger and remove the central agitator that increases cleaning performance. One manufacturer said the new efficiency standards would add $200 to the cost of a top-loading machine. So to sum up all of this and, and the rest of the article... Uh, the refrigerators that you buy will struggle to keep things as cold. The dishwashers that you buy will struggle to wash dishes. The washer and dryer will wash and dry your clothes worse. So the products will be worse and they'll probably cost more. And what do you get out of it? Uh, according to the Biden administration, the average family will save $100 on their energy bills monthly. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Scratch that. Yearly. So you're going to have worse appliances doing all of the things worse. They'll probably cost more. But hey, you're going to save, what, $8 a month? So, oh, wait. And you get that warm, fuzzy feeling that you're helping the climate. So, Justin, I mean, that's worth it, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sounds like a good deal to me. At the, root, at the root cause of all of this is that ultimately you have decisions being made over and over and over again by people who are not accountable to any to, to, to voters. That's the problem. And it, so all these rules are, they're not being passed by Congress. Congress isn't getting together and voting and saying, you know, let's uh, change the, wa the way uh, washing machines work. Like that isn't happening. And the reason that that isn't happening is because nobody, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to vote on how your washing machine changes because if they actually had to have an up and down vote on yeah. your washing machine and people didn't like it, then they're going to blame you for it. So what they did instead was they just simply gave these broad sweeping uh, authority to all these different agencies in the federal government to make rules for all kinds of things. 
And nobody is ever held accountable because nobody knows who these people are. We don't even, in most cases, know which agency, like regular people, know which agency created which rule that caused which problem in my life. I don't know who to blame. Right. I just, so what ends up happening yeah, is- Jennifer Granholm that I have to be upset it could, at? <laughs> it's like, you don't even know. And by the time, and, and by the time these things go into effect, it's often different people anyway. And you, and, and, and most of the people actually coming up with the rules are this protected class of bureaucrat that it, you can't even really fire because of the way that they've written the laws in Washington. So- at the fundamentally, nobody ever imagined, nobody dreamed when they create when when the founders created the United States, nobody dreamed that this would be the way things would work. Okay. Nobody even imagined it because they believed that all the decisions were going to be made at the state level anyway, other than mm -hmm. a very small number of things that are interstate and international issues. And and so at the very least, even if you had some really corrupt, really inefficient state, you could just move to another state. You know, there was that. But now you don't have that. All these rules are being created by these unnamed bureaucrats in Washington. And until that issue is resolved, until you stop making decisions at the federal level, or the only way you make decisions at the federal level are through actual legislation that has to be passed, these things are going to keep happening over and over and over again because the bureaucrats, the only people they're concerned about pleasing are either the bureaucrats they work for, other bureaucrats, or uh, some special interest group that's been lobbying right. some agency or some uh, administrative official or something, and and they care about that. Now, the reg the average person isn't lobbying so that they have better performing washing machines, okay? But there is some environmental group out there that's lobbying for that to get rid of it. And there's some, you know, big corporation lobbying in order to make more money so that at the very least they can do that. But the average person doesn't have that. They're, they're supposed to be, their voice is supposed to be through their representative who has just completely abrogated all responsibility by handing it to somebody else. So that, that like core issues, core principles, like until you fix those things, we're just going to keep having these problems over and over and over and over and over again. And it will never end uh, until that, that fundamental issue is resolved. <laughs> uh, sorry. The, the comments from Christine are, are killing me right now. Uh, the, the, taking my top loading washer over my dead body. That one's good. And then also the one about, um, you know, in the future, you're going to own nothing. So you won't need all of these appliances. That is <laughs> absolutely true. Um, yeah. Just, the, just the real, real Wait, no, one, I need to clear, clarify one thing because I conceded that you might actually uh, save $8 on your energy bills every month. And I, as Justin was talking, I was like, no, I, you know what? I take that back because at the end of the day, it's probably going to cost you more money when it comes to energy. There of course it episode, is. There was this episode of um, King of the Hill, which is a fantastic show. It, nobody gives it the credit it deserves. But in one of the episodes, the town of Arland, they have to install low flow toilets and because it's supposed to save on on energy uh, water usage but then they found out that one flush doesn't do the trick so they have to flush the toilet four or five times every time ends up using far more water yes. so in this in this world with all of your terrible appliances you're probably going to be throwing away more food that goes bad in the refrigerator more often mm -hmm. you might have to rewash your dishes a couple of times so i bet that if you were to run a very extensive testing of all of this stuff, you'll probably end up using more energy than what you were supposed it to. It won't be. matter. It won't matter because it, it just 
because none of it, that's the thing. It, you're right. You're, you're exactly right. I already do that now. I hate my washing machine and I have to wash everything twice and dry everything twice. And so if somehow that machine becomes even less efficient, like if I get another one and it's even worse than this one, I'm going to be washing everything like five times. So it's, it's of course you're right that that's the case, but that's what's so frustrating about this is does it matter like there will be no accountability. It won't make any difference at all that regular people, their lives are going to progressively get worse and worse and worse. And they won't even know why they won't know right. why that it's yes. happening. They'll just know that it is happening. Right. And that's, that's a huge, it's just so frustrating. You see these stories over and over and over again, and people don't make the connection for sure. some reason, you know? Chris, you were going to jump in. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, when Justin was talking about how executive agencies have basically taken over the lawmaking responsibilities, I think this is a trend that has just, you know, escalated more and more and more. The good news is that the next administration can come in and undo a lot of these rules. However, it also means that we're going to live in like a slingshot, you know, uh, world where every four years or every eight years, we're just going to have like, you know, just these new executive uh departments coming in and just you know doing these like wholesale rules changes that's not a good way to govern a country well that yeah. and, and actually but just to, to piggyback on that because that's actually a really good point so one of the things that we found and this is one of the reasons why the left does what it does when it's in power is what we found is that when agencies make really extensive rules what a lot of times what businesses do is they they react to those rules. And then even if they change in the future, like even if you remove the regulation in the future, the business doesn't change. They just continue on with the way that they were doing things before because they think it's really expensive for them to make that change again in the future if they have to make it again, right? It's, it's really expensive. And they figure, well, Democrats might come back in power again, and then we'll have to make the change back to what it was before. So let's just leave it in place. We've already, you know, we've already bit the bullet. We've already taken our hit. We're just, we're just going to have to live with these crappy rules. And so that's part of the reason why Democrats do these things is because they know it's going to stick even if the rule gets pulled later on. Right. And so it really is this slide toward uh toward everything in society becoming a little less efficient a little less effective a little less productive and then before you know it, you wake up and you're you know europe basically and i i, I, I agree that I, I agree but i do have a little bit of optimism because during the trump administration he undid a lot of the rules that obama had put in place in terms of uh energy regulation and look what happened in a pretty swift amount of time we had you know uh energy dominance so i'm just saying that there there is reason for uh hope because if a uh, republican administration follows you know biden we could undo a lot of this damage although yeah, i just wonder although it wouldn't be long lasting that that's the problem Right. It's like these industries, GE or whoever makes it, Maytag or whatever, whoever makes these these things. Are they just going to keep switching their designs back and right. forth? Businesses, you know? businesses like a, a long term environment where they know how to develop, design and uh, manufacture things. They don't like this, you know, this this every four years, this like rapid going back and forth like this. So it's not good for business. But I agree with Justin that once a rule is in place, for the most part, they are going to adhere to that rule. So it, it, unless unless and until a uh, more free market administration comes in and puts in a rule that's actually better for their business, which usually, yeah, they you know, do, you know, what what boggles my mind about all of this is that like climate change isn't even a high priority topic for the vast 
vast majority of voters. And we see that time and time again in these polls. There was a new Gallup poll, I think it's only a few weeks old, uh, that asked what is the most important issue going on in the country? And the top spots were claimed by a bunch of different things. Number one was government and poor leadership, 18%. Number two, economy in general is 14%. Number three, inflation at 9%. Number four, immigration at 8%. Number five, guns and gun control at 7%. Crime and violence in in sixth place with 6%. And Jim shared this article um, earlier in the week stating that climate change ranked near the bottom. So I was looking through the article and I couldn't even find where they mentioned climate change. Like I literally did like a keyword search for the article for climate change. Nothing showed up. Global warming. Nothing came up. Environment. Nothing came up. And I was like, where did you come up with this, Jim? So I had to go at the bottom and they have a click here for a spreadsheet of all of the stats or something. I had to click on that, scroll all the way down before I finally found climate change. It got 1%. Yeah. 1% chose climate change as the most important issue facing America. And, uh, you know, this is the thing that's primed to wipe out humanity in just a few short years. And it couldn't even beat out lack of respect for each other, which got 2%. <laughs> So that, but that's yeah. the point, right? So why then are they doing it? Why do they? Why are they making these rules that are su- supposedly meant to battle climate change if nobody cares about it? Like, why? Uh, why do they even do that? I well, mean, I'll let I'll let Jim speak to that. Go ahead, Jim. Well, yeah, I mean that that poll it was uh, they they do it regularly. It's an open ended question. So instead of giving, if if you've ever been called by a pollster for. Uh, a survey quite you know something like this there's usually a menu of of things that you could select and they ask you to rank them of these is- of these five issues which is the most important one to you this is um a rare one where it's just open ended question and the people can just say what is on their mind and uh, they can say anything you know and uh climate change we've actually three categories i think it was environment energy and climate change something like that um so they 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 had to make a broader category just to get to that 1% t- uh, number <laughs> so it's crazy, but uh, yeah, Justin, you're right. This isn't uh, this isn't about you know solving climate change or or protecting the environment and all that stuff. Uh, it's about control. I mean, from that Washington Times story, there was a um, um, they said the the Biden officials said in a statement that once finalized, the rules will cut greenhouse uh, gas emissions by an estimated 2.4 billion metric tons, quote equivalent to the carbon emissions from 10 million homes. 17 million gas cars or 21 coal fire pow- power plants over 30 years. So, you know, 10 million homes, that's basically, there's about 10 million households in the state of Florida. So you would, this would be like taking the state of Florida off the map. Uh, 17 million cars. I looked this up. There are uh, 280 million registered personal and commercial vehicles on the road. So 17 million cars is about 6% of all of our vehicles. And there are some 220 coal-fired power plants in the United States operating today. Of course, Biden wants to get rid of all of them as he just uh, as EPA just issued the rule today. But uh, by their own count, by the Biden administration's own count, this would be these regulations would be the equivalent of taking about 9% of those coal-fired power plants offline. Over three decades, hmm. not instantly, um, but over three decades. So that's how minuscule the accomplishment of, of solving climate change this really is. And of course, China China alone eliminates all of that benefit, so-called benefit, in one year, if, if even less with the emissions sure. that they have. And so what, what's frustrating about a story like this is when you read through, they, 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 um, 
the, the reporter quoted an industry or somebody in the industry, like an industry executive who spoke on condition of anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that infuriated me because how this, so as I think Justin pointed out earlier, um, it's the environmental leftist groups that do things like sue and settle with the EPA and push for these things all the way. And who is supposed to be pushing back on this? The manufacturers are supposed to be pushing back on this. They should have commercials running today, rallying public support against this rule so that it can be overturned. Instead, there are a bunch of simps. They just sit there and take it. And they they so if they're not going to fight back for it and they, they never fight back at this stuff because of the, the concept of regulatory capture, they figure that if we just play ball with with these regulations, no matter how stupid they are, no matter how bad they make our products, we will be able to eliminate any competition for us. And people are just going to have to take it and we will actually um, gain more economic power in the market through it. Well, this is what happens at the end of that road, guys. They basically outlaw your products. So thanks a lot. You know, it's, it's really great that the industry is standing up uh, for common sense and rallying the American people behind them. Not that is not happening. It needs to happen. That's how this this stuff. Ooh, I almost swore again. That's how this stuff gets turned around. <laughs> Justin, uh, there was there was a comment that you made earlier where you said, you you know, you wake up and it looks like you're up. Right. And I said to Jim recently, and I've said this in the past, um, but I've always thought that, you know, in, in light of trump's you know make america great again i always thought a good slogan for the democrats would make america europe again so maybe they should run with that because that seems to be you know a pretty all-encompassing uh you know encapsulation of, of I, what I don't they're going think for. that i don't think that it's a mistake that in the furthest left corridors of the democratic party their go-to argument for almost everything yeah. is it works super well in uh, Denmark and Sweden and Europe. <laughs> Socialism is so great there. They they love, even though that's not even accurate, and we've talked about that many times before, it's completely inaccurate, but they love to go to that. They love right. to hold up Europe as some sort of like model society where everything is amazing, when in reality it's not. Well, yeah, so I think that's a good uh, slogan. You should pitch it to Bernie Sanders. I sure we can get in touch with his people. <laughs> yeah, right. Make America Russia again. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I want to get to our, our final topic here. So, um, you know, and and I think it was Ed, Ed in the comments here uh, when I asked, you know, like, you know, like, who cares about this? Why? Why? You know, Americans probably don't care, whatever. I think it was Ed in the comments said um, the UN cares, which is a perfect segue. It's like he read my show notes here. Because, yeah, Americans seemingly don't care about climate change, but the United Nations certainly does. And they are apparently embarking on a, quote, new phase of accelerated progress when it comes to climate change and a whole basket of other issues. So as Justin so often does, he was reading through a bunch of obscure and largely ignored reports (laughs) from uh, organizations like the United Nations. And uh, stumbled upon several interesting plans and statements and pledges that uh, nobody's been talking about at all. So, Justin, it appears as though the United Nations is trying to coordinate organization between its member countries on a whole host of issues over the course of a series of events leading up to a so-called Summit of the Future in 2024, where they plan on having everyone sign a, quote, Pact for the Future. So um, I have their little list here of all the things that they want to tackle, their, their areas of potential action. But before I list off some of those stuff, is there any, is there any uh, bits that you want to elaborate on before I, I get to that list? Or should I just read? Uh, no, no, no. Read the, read the list. Okay. So 
like I said, there's a whole series of events. Um, in fact, one of their websites has a timeline of events going from 2020 with their uh, event having to do with sustainability goals, sustainability and development goals up through uh, some of the stuff that we have talked about. But uh, over the next couple of years, they're going to have these events staggered out that are, again, culminating in this summit of the future in 2024. And the areas of potential action they have listed out on one of their websites talks about all of these things that they want to have some type of pact that all these member states agree to. So um, I'll, I'll just kind of skip through some of them because there's 10 of them. Some of them are more interesting than others. Uh, but one of them is better respond to global shocks, put in place a stronger international response playbook for complex global shocks, maximizing the use of the secretary general's convening power in the form of an emergency platform, uh, measure human progress more effectively, agree on metrics beyond GDP so that decisions of debt relief, concessional funding, and international cooperation take account of vulnerability, well-being, sustainability, and other vital measures of progress. Maybe you can even call that a, a you know some type of social credit score for countries. I don't know. Uh, agree on a vision of digital technology as a motor for human progress that can deliver full benefits while minimizing potential harm. Commit to integrity in the public information. Achieving an information ecosystem, notably online, that is inclusive and safe for all, perhaps via a code of conduct? I think that's what we need, a global code of conduct uh, organized by the United Nations for how we are able to act online. That sounds like a good thing, don't you, don't you think, folks? Commit to integrity, uh, or no, sorry, reform the international financial architecture to ensure it delivers more effectively and fairly for everyone and particularly the global south including through objectives that are aligned with strategic development goals sustainable sustainable development goals debt sustainability a global financial safety net and more they also have transforming education but the most interesting one i thought they save it for the very end is what they call the united nations 2.0 and it says, adapt basic UN practices on data, communications, innovation, strategic foresight, performance, and results, and more. So it is better positioned to support all the above and face the challenges of tomorrow. So, Justin, I don't know. Is the UN trying to uh, beef itself up into some type of UN 2.0? Uh, what are your thoughts about this? And why did it grab your attention so much? What's really interesting about it is, um, I, you know, I think a lot of times people, uh, you mentioned this to me the other day, and I thought I was totally right. On the right, historically, what a lot of people have done is they sort of scoffed at the United Nations and said, uh, you know, they don't do anything. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're just pointless. Right. They're a pointless group of people that don't do anything. And in a, in a sense, in terms of foreign policy and militarily, yeah, they, they can't really do anything on their own. And so I think that their inability to stop like uh, Russia from invading Ukraine, for example, and things like that, like, yeah, they, they're not, that's not what they do. That's true. But they have had an incredible impact on a whole bunch of different issues that we all do sort of agree on. And, and when you look underneath the hood of some of these big issues, you realize there was some united nations sponsored group or 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 something uh or a pact or some kind of organization that 
led to other really important things happening. I mean, the Great Reset, that's sort of like our bread and butter. We've been talking about that for a long time. I mean, the United Nations was a huge part of the Great Reset. A lot of the stuff that happened with the United Nations, a lot of the stuff that happens with uh, with the, this coordinated effort between big financial institutions and banks globally to push uh, uh, the, like the, a Green New Deal, like transformation of society and the Great Reset and all that stuff. A lot of that emerged out of United Nations programs and plans. And so the stuff they do really does matter. And what this thing, this Our Common Agenda United Nations 2.0 plan seems to be doing is advocating for a an official um, uh, pact between ma- all the major nations within the United Nations, including the United States, uh, to formally adopt all kinds of really radical ideas like uh, uh, censorship of very on social media and various media platforms uh, related to misinformation and disinformation, which we know is just code for anything that the ruling class doesn't like. Um, the great, a lot of the big components of the Great Reset, like ESG and using financial institutions to impose the will of the left on all of a society, is embedded in as part of this common agenda. It's almost like they, the United Nations, took the Great Reset platform. And said, "How can we build on that and expand it and make it into a, like an international treat? You know, treaty. Basically, how do we build an international pact, a legally binding pact through the United Nations of all the things that are in the Great Reset? That's what our common agenda and United Nations 2.0 seems to do. And the really interesting thing about the United Nations 2.0 part of that is that." Over and over and over again, we're seeing in these documents this idea, not just from the United Nations itself, but from other countries, including people in the Biden administration have made uh, comments like this, um, where it's sort of like, you know, the United Nations is the only one that can really do certain things. You know, they're the only ones that can coordinate on a global level with governments in in an official capacity. They're the only ones that can handle another global shock, another global crisis, another uh, catastrophe. They're the only ones that can do it. And so we have to strengthen them and make them more powerful because they're the only ones that can solve our problems globally. Like what happened with the pandemic, if something like that were to ever happen again, we got to have a more powerful United Nations. I mean, all this stuff on the, on the left, I mean, you could be a socialist and not believe that the United Nations should have control over your life. Like you could be a socialist who just thinks um, we should make decisions locally. Like that's possible. But what people have to understand is that the ruling class elites, some of which are in the Republican party, many of which are in the democratic party, what they all talk about wanting is a greater power for the United Nations or for global government in general, or something like that. And they have all sorts of fancy ways of talking about it uh multilateralism and uh cooperation between global powers and all this stuff but what they really mean is decisions should be made globally and by globally they mean in Europe for everyone and then that's that really is what this our common agenda is all about um and and it's super important because the stuff they're talking about Real, if if the United States were to formally adopt it, and again, statements we have from the Biden administration seem to suggest they already like it, they're already on board, uh, your freedoms would be significantly limited and the rules 
for various parts of society would be determined in the United by the United Nations, not by the United States. And that should yeah. terrify everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever your ideological views are. We should be making our own decisions here, not in Europe or something like that. Right, right. Uh, yeah, Jim, when when Justin sent me some of this stuff, we had a conversation about it earlier in the week um, and we were going through it. I was having flashbacks of the Great Reset and, and when we were finding all the different Great Reset stuff. Um, and now it's the UN that's doing it. And it seems like it's almost like an amped up version of the Great Reset. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Is this uh, is this something to be concerned about? Is this something to keep an eye on? Or is it just UN's lofty goals, but they're not going to get anything accomplished? What do you think? No, I think you have to be seriously worried about it. I mean, the, w, the Great Reset came out of the WEF, which is... Uh, technically an organization with no real power, but when they can convince the United Nations and the United Nations member governments to endorse these things and then take them home and enforce them, uh, that's that's really troublesome. I mean, the 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 thing that struck out to me as you were reading through uh, reading through the list, um, you know, sometimes when they make these lists, it's like, are they trying to bore us to death so that we don't notice? You know, <laughs> the, right. the, the, the just the language they use is just so technocratic and it's just uh, you know just a bunch of fluff, but. There is real enforcement and danger behind it. But the thing that struck out to me was or stuck out to me was their the stuff about technology uh, and how that is that that is just an avenue that that's in there because they realize they have to control the speech of the public in order to keep them compliant and to keep people from getting upset about what's going on by being able to communicate with each other, their disagreement with the agenda. And um, it reminded me that they started to, when, when Elon Musk bought Twitter and I, I haven't looked it up because I don't know the resolution of it or if there has been a resolution uh, to the conflict, but they said, Hey, uh, Elon Musk, you may enjoy the free speech. You, you may want to employ the free speech protections of the United States as a guiding principle for how you will operate Twitter. But that is not how we were operate over here in Europe. The EU hmm. said, you know, you have to comply with our language restrictions or else uh, you won't, we'll just block your platform from everybody on the European continent. So th these are global issues. And the thing they always come from, come for almost first, even before guns, is coming after your ability to speak. Sure. That's why when even here in the United States, they, they keep using that term, which is just like, it's like fingers on a chalkboard to me, misinformation and disinformation, and which the only operating definition of those terms is any speech that the regime, you know, that opposes the regime agenda and whether that regime is the United States or it's the European Union or it's the WEF attendees or it's the United Nations, anything that goes against the plans of the ruling class will be classified as mis- and disinformation. And we have been conditioned. A lot of people in this country have been conditioned to accept those terms as legitimate and real. And um, it's all for a longer term plan. Yeah, no doubt. Um yeah, it's it's wild stuff. Uh, yeah, reading through it, and and yeah, you're right. They they do put this in kind of bureaucratic speech, but like you know, we've read enough of these great reset stuff and this crap coming out of the World Economic Forum to kind of like interpret what they're saying there. And when you have that lens on when you're reading through this stuff, I mean, it is as wide reaching uh, as it could possibly be written. Uh, but we are running out of time, but I do want to give Chris an opportunity to speak on this last topic. Do you have any uh, thoughts or, or interesting points to make? Good, sir. 
Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when <clears throat> MSNBC launched their whole global citizen uh, campaign. And I think that this is just exactly what they mm. want. They want us to all think of ourselves as global citizens instead of citizens of a, you know United States or any other country. And I think that if you look at what the United uh, United Nations is constantly like touting these these days, it's all about one world government, new world order and I, I completely disagree with that. I'm a firm believer in national sovereignty. You know, I think that that is uh, the the idea of global government has been, you know, around for many, many, many years. And, you know, it's just I, I think it's not it's not feasible. It's not practical. And I think that the people who are pushing it are concerned with one thing, it, getting as much power as they can. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned to Justin when we talked about this that they have, like I mentioned, like an outline of different events that are taking place, one at the end of this year, all leading up to this summit of the future in, in uh, September, I think, of 2024. And I was like, Justin, we should literally put this on a calendar and just like count down to this stuff so that we can force ourselves to pay attention to this. Because when you look up this stuff, if you look up any of these terms or anything like this, uh, UN 2.0, Summit of the Future, if you look it up, there's only UN links. Nobody is paying attention to this. So we want to make sure that somebody is, and that's going to be us. Uh, Justin, any final words? Anyone got any final words? Anything they want to get off your chest before we wrap it up for today? Yeah, what, one last thing about the UN 2.0 thing is... Uh, the the game the the according to the united nations itself the game plan is for the pact of the future to be signed and endorsed by heads of state of government including the united states uh in 2024 after the summit of the future or at the summit of the future it's already in the, it's in the game plan it's not a question of whether it will happen or won't happen the way that they describe it on their website is this is when it is going to happen they're going to sign the pacts we're all going to be on board and uh, the Biden administration, like I said, has already said that they're behind most of it, including some of the scary stuff we talked about. So definitely something we all need to be keeping a very, very close eye on. Donnie, I'll just one one very last quick comment. Uh, you know, China has an outsized influence on the United Nations and many of these global organizations. And I think this is all part of their quest to, you know, China, like China eyes the world. And I do not want to live in a China you know, in a, in a China world, you, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting is that September of 2024, it's like, they're really getting up to that line of when potentially a new president could be in place. It's like, we got to fit this in under the, under the wire, just in case someone with an R in front of their name takes over the, the follow like, four months later or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. All I, right. I, I, I'm not a global citizen. I'm a sovereign individual. Uh, and so I think everybody should think that way. That's right. And he's also trying to make Fetch happen. Um, I am trying to right. make Fetch happen. <laughs> I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Like I said, for those audio-only listeners that are catching this show on a Friday, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time. We were streaming live on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your uh, your comments on the screen. We will address your questions on the fly. And also, if you are an audio-only listener, you can help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you are watching us on YouTube, you can uh, you know help us out by just doing a couple of things. It will only cost you a couple of seconds, no money at all, hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment underneath the video. All helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this 
for being shown to more people. If you would like, you can follow us on Twitter at InTheThinkPod. And if you have any comments or questions or, for, or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheThinkPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at HeartlandInst on Twitter, and always visit Heartland.org. Justin Haskins, same question. At Justin T. Haskins on uh, on Twitter, and also check out um, our Stopping Socialism TV on uh, YouTube. Obviously, this is where this is being live streamed, but tons of really good content on a whole bunch of other issues and other shows that we're, we're doing. We're focusing a lot on that. So check out those other videos and share with your friends and family if you feel so inclined. Fantastic. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Uh, Heartland.org and go and check out our, our uh, most recent policy paper about ESG. If you were gonna, if you want a really in-depth uh, history about ESG and how to fight against it, please go read the paper. It's magnificent. All right, fantastic. We outpaced our outro music, apparently. So thank you all for tuning into this episode. We'll talk to you next week.